Welcome back to The Neighboring Podcast in 2020. My name is Andrew Hoffman, and I'm the host. The Neighboring Podcast, if you're unfamiliar, is an attempt to try to document and record and get a look at what it means to be a good neighbor in our communities, in our workplaces, and actually in our neighborhoods. We think that neighboring can happen anywhere, especially during now, during the response to the COVID crisis. We are seeing people attempting to be good neighbors in all kinds of really creative ways. And so we hope to bring some episodes over the next couple of weeks about the way people are uh, responding. This week and next week is all about kind of the economics and the philanthropy world and giving. I had a conversation with a, a friend and supporter of Neighborlink, Nate, who uh, reached out after wondering, what does giving look like now? How can I make the biggest impact? Um, we're trying to sort it out as a family. We feel privileged and blessed to be weathering this storm. And so we want to uh, give with the greatest impact and curious what you have to say. And so that prompted the prompted this episode. And so you get to meet Nate and we talk through this question. I offer a couple of ideas on an individual neighbor kind of level. Uh, and then we took a kind of zoomed out and talked to Matthew Perky, the new CEO of United Way here in Allen County, who created a COVID response emergency fund that has over $2.8 million raised which will get distributed through area nonprofits and human service organizations trying to uh, respond directly to the need. And 100% of those funds will go out. So we talked to him for a few minutes. And then um, it's always good to hear on the receiving end. And so I talked to a friend, Irene, who's the executive director of Amani Family Services, who illustrate the type of work they do with immigrants and refugees. And they were a recipient of some of these United Way funds. And uh, she talks about how that $20,000 was earmarked and spent to help provide to their families and to their clients during this time. So stay tuned, listen to this episode, and we'll be back next week as well uh, with Kristen Giant and Junk Ditch Brewing Company to talk about the commerce side. How can our local business and our commerce and our dollars um, impact our community in new creative ways? And Kristen brings a lot a few great ideas and Junk Ditch talks about how this has impacted their business and how important it is to be shopping and supporting local during this time. Thanks for tuning in to Neighboring. We look forward to a full season of episodes. I'm here with a friend and NeighborLink supporter, Nate Edwards. Uh, and he messaged uh, me earlier this week about the idea of like, hey, what's the best way to give and to give personally and... Uh, make an impact in our community. And it aligned with some other conversations we're having. So thought I would do a neighboring podcast here or at least uh, document our conversation in real time. Nate, thanks for joining me. And uh, curious if you would just kind of start, introduce yourself and then launch with the question you sent via email and see if we can dive into that conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm just a guy. I uh, <laughs> I really love what NeighborLink does and represents. And um, you know, when, when I have the, the free spare time, I try to do volunteer projects, um, to give of my, uh, I try to do financial donations to NeighborLink on the regular too. I'm kind of a, uh, kind of a programmed, um, regular automated giving thing set up there. And I'm just always trying to figure out how to, how to most effectively give, um, you know, I, I give in a couple of different ways. I think a lot of people are like this. I've got some charities that are kind of um, global that I interact with, but then I really want to do some stuff that's very local, very, very personal. And I'm fortunate in that, um, like probably a lot of people and unlike a lot of people, uh, I work at a, I work in a office type job where right now with the COVID-19 pandemic going on, I can work from home and my company at large is not, um, um, closing its doors right now. So we're getting paid, we're, we're doing work. And I know millions of people are in a totally different situation. And yet, all of us get this blanket uh, stimulus from the government, you know, if, if we're, um, you know, as long as our income isn't uh, exorbitantly high, I suppose. But uh, what do you do with that? Uh, you know, I get this and, and I look at my family and I'm, I'm thinking, we're doing all right. And it, it almost seems unjust, you know, not that I, I feel like it, I'm guilty about it. But it's like, I think we could help reallocate that to the more to the people who really need it. And how do I do that? <laughs> what does that look like? I just don't know right now. Yeah, it's a it's a really complicated question. And 
the idea of redistribution, especially when you want to be more proactive in redistribution, we think about redistribution and, you know, the government or outside entities kind of redistributing for us. And when we want to take maybe more of a proactive, uh, that can be kind of a difficult case. You know, my wife and family are in, in a very similar situation. So we're having the same conversations of saying, well, what do we do with the stimulus check that we didn't ask for? And fortunately, um, don't need. And so uh, how do we support those causes that are important to us? Because every organization has been impacted by this. And many organizations are rely, we're relying on fundraisers, just like bands were relying on events and to help support the operation. So there's always kind of those kind of needs out there. And many of us are kind of tuned into those. But one of the things we're seeing in NeighborLink is the idea that how do you give, how do you give more in a more personal way um, potentially, because we now are relationally connected to even more people and even more people that may look like us who don't have the same kind of financial stability that we do. And because we're in relationship, there's greater opportunities to give. So uh, it's an ongoing challenge. What are some of the things that have been helpful for you as you, you and your wife navigate this discussion? Well, we're still trying to figure it out, really. Like uh, folks like um, you who have, who, you know, you, you being the director there at NeighborLink and having um, regular communication with people in need, that, that input has been really helpful. Um, just reaching out to other people who are, who are in more of that kind of scenario, that's, that's been helpful in getting that insight. Um, but yeah, we're still trying to figure out how to allocate some of this stuff. And, and we feel like, man, it's so timely right now. So many people might be, in such need right now, we feel almost um, paralyzed sometimes. Uh, what's the right thing to do, right? Um, so it's a challenge. Yeah. Well, a couple of uh, ways that I had replied via email that may be helpful for other listeners that we kind of talked about in more of like a decentralized giving. If you already have a relationship with the local nonprofits or even a global nonprofit that you know of that's doing good work, that's being a global issue. You know, make a make a contribution in that way. And many organizations that are adapting right now, especially those that are serving on a front lines perspective, have set up special kind of COVID-19 related funds where they're allocating whatever is fundraised at this time for the ways that they're directing um, response. So many organizations are trying to adapt to food distribution or personal hygiene items, those types of things. Many people, some organizations are trying to adapt to financial support, um, rent and mortgage and utility assistance. And if those things are important, you have to kind of give in a general way, but as a donor, you get to really evaluate those organizations and evaluate whether the organization is just trying to do some general fundraising, hoping to stabilize their operations or uh, are those organizations creating special funds that you can donate to that are saying that 100% is going towards these kind of issues? And if it's important for your dollars to go directly to maybe somebody in need, whether you know them or not, looking for organizations that are doing that are a way to do that. Uh, NeighborLink, we set up our own kind of COVID response fund, knowing that we will receive... Uh, specific requests and knowing that people like to give directly and know that where 100% of the donation is going more so than maybe funding our, our operations, that's one way we've kind of set it up. Another way, uh, as you know, is probably who in your life do you know at work or as church or within your kind of social clubs or band, musician, those things that you may know on a personal level or an acquaintance level that but you can recognize that they're going through a bit of a hard time. And what does it look like to get, get involved a little more personally in sending a check or donation or uh, a gift card, which as awkward as it is, is certainly transformative. So the more personal your gift can be, the more transformative. And as a giver, you want to transform. It's how comfortable are you and what is the relationship like with that person. One way my wife and I have been thinking about this as well is like, okay, who in our life do we need to like maybe step into relationally a little bit and maybe help that way that we have some trust and uh, built in relationship there that can withstand maybe the awkwardness, but also like, what does it look like to buy some Walmart gift cards or Kroger gift cards and send those maybe anonymously, like handwritten notes to those people 
and sending it in a form that isn't a check that's got your name on it and it's not cash in the mail, but maybe it's a gift card in this way. So how do you do that on a more regular basis? And then if there's interest at a higher level, uh, there's funds, especially here in Fort Wayne, there's been a couple of funds. One's the United Way COVID Response Care that has been heavily funded and continues to need to. But what we're seeing in that kind of realm is organizations on the front lines providing food and uh, rapid care that you know 100% of those funds are going to help support those initiatives. But also long-term, they're going to be helping fund some of those rent assistance and keeping people stable and going. You don't get to, to be as directly connected. Well, one thing is important with those is a lot of that funding will be channeled through organizations that are equipped for kind of the social service aspects that really need to go along with helping people financially weather the storm. So those are a couple of ideas that I hit back to you uh, via email. Yeah. And I, I'm always a big, uh, a big proponent or believer in kind of doing a bit of a diversified giving, right? Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's a great thing to think about where you might choose a few people um, where, you know, you said transformative, what a cool word, like identifying some people, you could even send them an American express gift card or whatever, right. You can buy it off the shelf at Walgreens or on Amazon. And, um, but the personal note, it might change their week or their month or their life. And, and, and maybe mixing that with, you know, if you, if you're trying to donate 500 or a thousand or 1500 and maybe yeah. split a half and half and use NeighborLink or you said United Way is another great one where they have COVID-19 specific uh, funds. That's, a, that's pretty smart. Uh, another great tool that I just kind of came across here recently is a, is an organization called common table. And it's like an online giving circle, uh, that like, say your small group at church, or even, you know, you talk about neighborhoods at your work, like what would it look like to create a giving circle with your coworkers? Everybody puts in 25 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever. And those funds go in. And then you ask kind of a giving circle, can anyone can like request assistance for somebody they know. And then it creates this like great online dialogue about who, who needs that help and how do you pay for it? And then the organization behind it will send a check or send a money order or even kind of make the payment to the, to the need. So there's a lot of like really cool and creative ways that are both in a personal way, but also in a communal way. And it's really good to get community together uh, to discuss these things. One other thing you had mentioned to me too, and I think we've all seen uh, some of this stuff on Facebook or on the news where uh, say that there's a restaurant that says, man, we're really struggling right now. And all of a sudden, uh, in 10 minutes, the lines around the block of that one restaurant, they're supporting local uh, businesses that we think do an amazing job. Um, that's a pretty cool way to do it because, you know, you always kind of uh, vote with your dollar, you know, what businesses you want to stick around. But that vote, I guess, is more important than ever right now and being able to. Um, and, 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 you know, so many of those sp specifically restaurants and things like that, uh, so many cool incentives going around, on right now for consumers, you know, discounted delivery, all sorts of different deals. So it's kind of a cool way to dive in and, you know, maybe choose, uh, be a, be a patron in a real, uh, in a real pure sense of the word of a place and, and, you know, give, give some funds and get some grub in the process. It's a good thing. Sure. Yeah. The, one of the big challenges that we like try to keep ahead of us is uh, moving intent to action. Uh, I think, I think all of us ingrained know kind of what we want to do. If we're, if we're motivated to give right now, we have a, have a good idea. And so the, the barriers that always exist in our lives is moving from that intent and the idea to, to the action. So if anything, this is an encouragement for people to move towards action with their ideas and do some Google searching, give us a call, give somebody a call or, you know, just figure it out. There's kind of no, no wrong way to help a neighbor these days. Yeah. Intent to action. That's so big. That's uh, another thing that I found helpful in that department too, is with you, with other places we give to automating it, right? Uh, NeighborLink has a great portal for doing online giving. Um, some other ones do too, but the more I find that you can automate that. You no longer have to make that decision every week or every two weeks. You make it once, it keeps happening. So there's yeah. 
Well, Nate, thanks for uh, being up for having this conversation with me and uh, asking this question as a family. I look forward to hearing kind of some of the some of the feedback and some of the as you close the loop with your family, what what you experience and uh, look forward to see how you integrate your kids too and what they they're interested in and supporting. So let you know, Andrew, thanks so much for everything. All right, Nate, have a great day. If you find yourself in a position like Nate and his family, um, get creative, go direct to people, uh, give to your favorite nonprofits. Got a lot of opportunities. Leave a comment or send us an email. Let us know how uh, you've been giving during this time. Next up is Matthew Perkey, CEO of United Way. I'm here with Matthew Perkey, uh, the new CEO of United Way of Allen County. Welcome to Fort Wayne. And thanks for uh, your willingness to be on the podcast to share from your experience. Uh, you kind of you came, you kind of got started. You're here for what a couple of weeks or just kind of getting started. Um, the midst of, of COVID-19 and the coronavirus kind of hits our community and, and you don't really wait around. You kind of dive in and and jump at the opportunity to to really use what what I understand United Way has always been about being the connector and the resource gatherer in a way and and trying to connect those resources to nonprofits like NeighborLink and and you know dozens of others in our community to help secure their mission. So uh, give us uh, a little introduction of yourself. And uh, I know most people probably have a good sense of United Way, but what what is different? What is maybe different with this initiative than their experience with United Way in the past? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Andrew, first of all, thank you for having me. It, it's always an honor to sit down with you. I am a, a fan of your work and I admire you as a human being. So uh, I am proud to be associated with you and this podcast. Um, I am originally from Dayton, Ohio, a United States Marine. Um, very proud of my military service. Uh, I served in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Haiti post-earthquake 2010, um, in which I came into contact with United Way. And at the time, I had no idea what a United Way was. All I knew was that this was an organization that was on the front line of, of that specific community need. And I was hooked. I mean, from that point on, it was in my DNA. So you combine mission accomplishment of the United States Marine Corps and the strategic approach to being on the front line of the United Way. Um, and it, it pretty much <laughs> rounds out my personality type. Um, and jumping into the COVID-19, you know, you, Fort Wayne and Allen County as a whole is an extremely uh, generous community. They invest towards the most pressing community needs. And I joke when I say that all leaders of a new organization should face a crisis immediately. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it has given us more opportunity, Andrew, to do exactly what United Ways were designed to do more than anything I could have designed myself. Um, and, and, you know, that is, we never hope for a crisis, but if there is one, if we can leverage it to the betterment of an organization and the community to make long-term strategic changes immediately, then I believe we should do so. Um, it has also given me an opportunity to cut through the formalities. You know, my, my initial 90 days was supposed to be an introductory tour, um, going around meeting local business leaders and nonprofit leaders and community leaders, things of that nature. And instead of over a cup of coffee, talking about each other's lives and how we got here for an hour, it's, hey, my name is Matthew. Very nice to meet you. How can we work together now? Yeah, so it has really taken away. Um, you know, I, I think it was Michelangelo that said that he doesn't create art, but he chips away everything that's not. Mm. This has given us an opportunity to start chipping away at everything that is not United Way to do exactly what we were designed to do. Yeah. So you jumped in and uh, had the vision to create this COVID-19 fund, specific fund. So run down um, kind of the, the basis of a fund. What I was hoping to, to kind of have your perspective on on this particular podcast is like, what is what does philanthropy and giving and community impact look at a higher level during the midst of this, at least in, in our county? Yeah, so... United Way is designed to do to answer 
two questions daily. And it is, what is our community's most pressing need and what can we do about it? Um, you know, sometimes we overcomplicate our work with relationships and baggage from the past and, and you know, politics, whatever that looks like. I am uh, <laughs> referring back to the Marine in me, uh, being the knuckle dragger that I am. It's like, how do we simplify everything we do on a daily basis? Yeah. And so um, what is our most pressing need? It is obvious. COVID-19 hit. Uh, Andrew, and none of us could have seen it coming. There is no way you could have predicted this. The market couldn't predict it. The nonprofit community couldn't predict it. The local government couldn't predict it. And so when it hit, um, it has amplified everything that we were prior to. And that could be as an individual or as an organization. Um, you know, if you weren't in a good place prior to, there's a good chance you're not coming out in a better place. If yeah. you were in survival mode prior to, there's a good chance that you're going to be even further in survival mode um, coming out of. And so that is made us as an organization take a very strategic pause to look at what is the overarching picture. And so what we did is to answer the first, to the first question, um, what is our most pressing needs? COVID-19. What can we do about it? The emergency relief fund. We were one of the first United Ways in Indiana to, cut, to kick off an emergency relief fund to kind of touch on philanthropy as a whole in Northeast Indiana and Allen County specifically. Andrew, I, I've been amazed at the way people have come to the table to join this effort. Um, you know, I've asked some, I wouldn't say historians of the community, but people that have been here their entire lives, especially in this sector. And they have never seen Lily and um, Journal Gazette and First Federal and St. Joe's and Follinger and Parkview Health and Community Foundation and United Way. They have never seen all these organizations at the same table investing in the same initiative according to community need. So right there, that was a very early victory, I think, for United Way. And it was just the fact that we said, hey, we're going to provide this mechanism and we are calling on all other funders to join us, inviting them to invest in, in what is obvious our community's most pressing need. Um, and once again, I didn't have, I think not having the weight of the past, um, ingrained in me locally, I think that gave me an opportunity to clean the slate and just say, look, I don't know what's happened in the past. I don't know what our philosophical difference is, is nor do I care. How do we get at the same table and how do we make a difference? Yeah, crisis certainly helps with uh, not needing to process all of that in the midst of trying to create a response. So uh, certainly requires requires us all to kind of at least put put past on, on pause and and yes. keep moving forward. With, uh, with the hope of, of the future. So one of the, the things that is, is, is great is, you know, you've been able to, what, raise almost $2.5 million now, right? Yeah, uh, $2.8 yeah, million. $2.8 million for our community, and it's all directly in COVID response, correct? Correct. One of the things that is really uh, important is, it's often there, there's a there's a, an increasing kind of skepticism of of the community, especially at an individual level, um, about where dollars go, what does overhead look like. You and I might, from our experience, understand that overhead is necessary to run an organization, and it doesn't. It isn't always a question about organizational effectiveness or whether the dollars are being used right, especially towards the need, but that. That is a reality that you and I face when it comes to fundraising and giving. And one, with that, when we think back to like an individual level, sometimes it's hard to want to give to a big initiative like that and say like, well, you've already raised $2 million. What is my $50 really going to do to help impact that? Do you have, what, what do you typically say to kind of a comment? Like if somebody, if I came and asked you that kind of question, what's, what's kind of your response? Sure. Um, I would say that the value of your $1 is no different than the value of any other dollar. Um, it, it all holds the same weight and it still has the same return on investment at the community level. United Way, we are a community organization, meaning we would, we would just as like to have a million people give $1 as one person give a million dollars. You know, if you, if you are bought into something you have invested in, you have a vested interest in. And 
a $5 gift to United Way is just as valuable to us from a, from a communication standpoint, from a relationship standpoint, as a, as a $500 gift is. Um, you know, our, our motto is United We Fight, United We Win, and it's going to take us all. And the, the person who is donating their money from a lemonade stand is just as valuable of a community member as anybody else who's giving much larger checks. There might be more zeros, but that first dollar is just as valuable as the next person's first dollar. Yeah. One of the key components of the, the initiative was to start distributing resources really quickly. Uh, give a rundown of a handful of initiatives that have received funding and some of the things that they're working on. Sure. So almost uh, $2.8 million that that we previously stated has been raised both locally and at a statewide level uh, from philanthropic organizations and individuals. Um, we have currently um, approved funding to 15 organizations for a total of almost $200,000. And I'm just going to name these real fast because I would hate to name one and not name them all. Yes. Thus far, it's Omani, Associated Churches, Bridge of Grace, Come As You Are, Community Harvest, CTN, Homebound Meals, Miss Virginia's, um, The Rescue Mission, Vincent Village, Wellspring, YMCA, Matthew 25, Aging and Then Home, and Visiting Nurse. Now, Andrew, on top of that, the 200, almost $200,000 that has been approved for these 15 organizations um, we have also earmarked a substantial financial investment in the nine county regional um, homeless recovery site, which is a it's an initiative to, with dignity, allow homeless people, homeless individuals or homing unstable individuals, whether that's an unsafe home or um, not knowing where where you're going to sleep tonight or couch surfing. If you are symptomatic or your family members have tested positive or you have tested positive. The chances of that individual being able to be self-quarantined is slim to none. You know, in a private-public partnership, we've come alongside DMHA, um, the Lutheran Foundation, the YWCA, Bright Point, Just Neighbors, uh, and the list continues to to be a managing partner and financial investor in this nine-county regional quarantine center for the homeless population. Yeah, that's great. Uh, as being a part of the advisory committee has been great seeing um, all the different applications and really see what the organizations are doing mm -hmm. so far, like all a hundred percent of the dollars are going really and really towards uh, direct care, food, food resources, extra transportation needs, um, all kinds of really great ways that organizations are trying to adapt and respond and kind of readdress some of their pre-existing kind of client base. and. Um, trying to bring additional supportive services in new ways. So it's been, been really great. Matthew, thanks for taking the time and for your leadership in this. I'm looking forward to uh, passing this season with everyone else and kind of seeing what the, what the future for local nonprofit collaboration looks like moving into, into the future. I think this has been, been really great for um, many of the things that you've already mentioned, but us getting past, um, past some of those things, uh, needing each other in a different way, you know, talk about how this has impacted us all individually. And we're all ex experiencing a, uh, new vulnerabilities, mm -hmm. uh, both in personally and practically as organizations. And so, um, I think that's only healthy, um, especially when we get to the other side and can look back on, a, on what's, what's been different and what's changed and how we work together. So. Absolutely. And this crisis has really torn down the walls of competitiveness and moved us into collaboration. So I am so excited to keep this momentum going forward after this craziness is over. No one is quite sure what will happen in our communities after this, how difficult it will be for some to overcome the economic hardships that have happened to them. We're grateful for Matthew and United Way and all of those that have helped fund that. Next up is Irene with the Amani Family Services, where she talks about uh, the immigrant and refugee population and how their organization uh, serves them and how they're turning the resources they're able to get through this United Way Fund towards those trying to navigate this like the rest of us. 
Well, we're trying to bring the flip side to the bigger conversation. And I have a friend, Irene, um, who is the executive director of Amani Family Services, who uh, was on the recipient end of some funding from the United Way's kind of emergency response fund. And wanted to have her share a picture a little bit about the work she's doing, the challenges that her organizations and and the, the individuals that her organization helps are facing and how their organization has to adapt and how the funding of an organization or some of the response funding from United Way is helping that organization. If you have questions about how you know $50 really makes an impact in a big $2 million pool, I'm hoping Irene can can share a little bit that, about that. So welcome. Uh, would love for you to introduce your organization a little bit. Uh, yes, thank you, Andrew, so much for giving me the opportunity to speak about Amani and about how the emergency fund, um, you know, is helping our um, our clients in the community. Uh, Amani, as you said, I'm the executive director of the agency. I've been with the agency since 2015, and Amani used to be known as Crime Victim Care of Allen County, but it's um, known now as Amani Family Services, and we're really dedicated to uh, serving our uh, neighbors that are um, uh, that live in Allen County, but who originally uh, have arrived here from other countries outside of the United States. So we work with immigrants and refugees, with individuals and families, uh, who live in Fort Wayne and Allen County. Um, we work with them and the community at large. And so we have, a, on a regular basis, uh, when things are, quote unquote, normal, <laughs> we have our, our programming that addresses um, needs of families, which look like um, we have uh, case management services for families who are struggling to make ends meet. Um, we call the community partners in partnership with CAN, the local Stop Child and Abuse Neglect organization. Uh, community partners is a program that uh, prevents abuse in uh, the homes of families with children uh, who are where the families are struggling, as I mentioned, and they could be struggling in many different ways. So uh, imagine you have come from uh, a different country and, or even better, imagine you're going to a different country from the United States, uh, let's speak Egypt. <laughs> so whatever reason you have for moving to Egypt, put yourself in those shoes. And uh, um, so it is, probably going to be difficult for you would have to learn a language, a language that is written in different characters. You would have to also uh, learn um, the written and uh, unwritten rules of the society you're joining. Um, you will um, quickly find out what are some of the most evident differences between the way you used to live and the way in which most people live and the expectations. You would um, then probably uh, pursue some type of uh, goal for you. Perhaps you're developing a career. And so uh, every single item, every single thing you do in your life is going to be just a bit different or a lot different. Um, if you're young, if you're in your 20s or if you're a child, that will look very different than if you are, say, 40, 50s or even uh, a bit older. Um, your ability to learn the language, your ability to develop relationship, your your uh, physical strength, mental health, um, everything will be will be in play. Um, from the day when you start and you get groceries at the grocery store to applying for jobs or uh, educating or uh, registering your kids for school. Everything looks different. It could be very intimidating. Well, uh, we are not just simply working with individuals who are going through this journey of adjustment, but we're going to what we work with. We work with people who are not only living through this type of challenges of adjustment, but on top of what would be the adjustment journey and cultural shock, as we call it, we also are working with individuals who are experiencing violence. So they could be children, uh, who are um, unfortunately living in conditions of abuse or neglect as defined by the Department of Child Services. It could be um, uh, those men or women who uh, may have been victimized um, in the United States. So we have a lot of, unfortunately, over 500 
uh, individuals who are victims of uh, of crimes and don't speak English, um, many of them sexual assault victims, uh, some of them domestic violence, rape, um, even uh, family members of homicide victims. Uh, so again, if you put your shoes in the, if you put your feet in the shoes of somebody that is in, uh, adventuring in a different country now, add to that the layer of a substantially dramatic event as a crime that I uh, mentioned would be regardless. So uh, you can quickly, you can quickly see how you will be desperate for connections. You will be desperate for any help. You're desperate to be recognized as a person for your strengths and values. And uh, if you if you don't know where to go, well, that could also be extremely dangerous for you or your family members and specifically children. So we wrap around services, whether it is case management, home visits to see, um, again, uh, if families that are living in these risky situations have what they need. And then um, um, we also work with individuals who are affected by substance use we in partnership with the course. Uh, I have a staff that is just uh, truly amazing. They're passionate, they're uh, very empathetic. Uh, they love what they do um, at, in all programs. And I'm very humbled by what I see every day. So that's just a bit about us. Uh, let me yeah. know if, you, if this is clear enough or if you want to ask more questions. No, that's great. Uh, none of us uh, were quite prepared for uh, the coronavirus and the impacts on our organization. Uh, some of us have a little extra resources that we can reallocate and, you know, we have to run effective organizations. How has this impacted your uh, operations or in what way have you seen new needs come through the door that, that you're trying to respond to? Right. Well, just like everybody else, we've been following the um, the news, and uh, I have a bit of a personal uh, story connected to COVID nineteen, just because uh, I am an immigrant from Italy. And well, the news coming from Italy were pretty intense, and that was uh, just a few weeks before um, uh, our um, United States and Allen and Indiana State. Um, went into lockdown. So I have personally been following apprehensively uh, the news. And then, of course, having the responsibility um, with my team to prepare uh, for the emergency, we also, I also had to um, help define the new, the new normal uh, as a result of COVID-19 operations-wise for the agency. So, um, gosh, <laughs> it's been a new, uh, it's been a new adventure, new experience. Um, COVID-19 is something that I say we were not fully prepared for. We had a disaster preparedness plan. Um, so luckily, um, we had a framework, um, but definitely reality hit the ground pretty quickly and we found ourselves working remotely. So uh, because of our um, contracts with the state of Indiana Department of Child Services, our organization was deemed, uh, our services were deemed as essential. So we were not able to um, make really many changes. And for those services that were not part of the category of essential, because we're not part of the of our partnership with the Department of Child Services, well, we consider them essential. So um, what Amani did, um, pre-COVID-19 and after COVID-19 looks, well, if you could say, it looks very, very similar. We have been continuing all of our services just uh, with the help of technology, whether it is um, uh, visiting with families or uh, providing group opportunities for individuals who are um, uh, on a journey to become sober, uh, primarily for substance use, alcohol use. So, um, it was it was an adjustment for my staff. We we did um, we have a staff of over twenty individuals. We did uh, daily phone calls with all staff at eight a.m. every day for a couple of weeks, uh, and then cut down just a little bit when we we kind of got a hang of it. Um, so the first phase of our adjustment was definitely for our operations to immediately have the tools to work remotely. 
And things haven't been that different. The biggest, uh, at that point, the biggest price was paid by um, the children um, who are in foster care and uh, uh, rely on a money to visit with their parents. So you may not realize, but there are thousands in our community um, of families that are separated due to abuse or neglect. So for reasons of safety, children are temporarily placed in um, uh, foster families. And then they do what they call supervised visitations. Um, they have the opportunity to see biological parents through the help of nonprofit organizations like ours. Uh, and well, if you have children, you can imagine that seeing your child remotely, or if you're, you know, child, uh, seeing your parent remotely is not quite the same. Uh, but then um, if you, you know, if you have a parent, if you're a parent of a baby, then again, uh, the baby cannot really uh, participate in technology. Uh, so there are some things our technology cannot do. So definitely um, my heart goes to, to those families um, as a parent. Um, so uh, also we've been impacted directly. Uh, we have a, all of our services are free, except we do charge a very reasonable fee of about $15 uh, per session for our participants in the substance use groups. And uh, all of our work has uh, moved to uh, remote work. So we haven't been uh, collecting our, our fees while we've been continuing the work. Um, um, a lot of our activities just for the reason of being remote, they have gone, uh, we've had a, I guess, in reduction of hours, which for us as a nonprofit means a lot because uh, for some of our contracts, if we don't, um, have the same number of hours of work, we also don't get uh, the same financial support. So as an agency in general, uh, we saw a, um, a reduction in revenue. But um, what we had not thought about, so the first phase was, like I said, about all about operations, adjusting, um, reaching out to all of our clients, making sure those in uh, high risky situations still were able to uh, participate. Then um, what we realized is the United States was developing tools, uh, the government to help um, uh, to help all of us is that uh, once again, um, we're working with a population, immigrants and refugees who don't often have the opportunity to participate in uh, in benefits. So uh, many of us, all of us, or many of us on listening, have received a stimulus check. And um, you understand that uh, there is a large population of individuals and families and children who don't have documents. Therefore, their, um, their work has been impacted by the pandemic, by the lockdown. However, um, they have not received um, the stimulus funds. So those families had no, uh, no help from the government. Um, you also understand that also the uh, sick leave plans that uh, were created by the government were not um, uh, available for the same individuals that I mentioned. Uh, many, many of us have had to apply for unemployment benefits uh, that's not been the case for me and um, uh, luckily has not affected my family, but many, many individuals have had to apply for unemployment benefits. Well, um, whether you are an international student or a refugee who don't have, doesn't have a history of employment, or once again, an undocumented individual and an asylum seeker, again, many people who have documents for residents, you do not... Um, you cannot be eligible for unemployment benefits. So uh, we realized, looking at each other virtually as a team, we realized that if we were not going to worry about this, who else was going to worry about this? And we quickly realized that we had to do everything we could to, uh, to find uh, support. We don't have the resources internally to provide um, a relief financial assistance. That's not what we had done, but we've had to, uh, we 
we were determined to find that. And uh, we're not a United Way agency currently. And uh, well, when the news came up that United Way was providing or putting together the fund, uh, we um, quickly applied for assistance. And I have to say the process was very simple. And we were the lucky recipients of a grant that uh, is being put to use. So That's great. What in what way did you guys put the, the grant to use? I forget the, the details of the application, but it was providing uh, just tell us what what all sure. that kind of funding went to. So we received $20,000, all of it, 100% of it, and not a dime less is used for direct service for clients. So not for, um, um, you know, operations, not for administration at all. We have $5,000, which we use to pay directly for a language interpreter uh, to help assist in uh, filling out application forms uh, for um, and, and having dialogues with clients in need. And then the bulk of the funding, $15,000, is used to uh, provide three things. One is housing assistance, which uh, includes uh, help with rent, uh, help with mortgage payment. Also, um, the second uh, $5,000 can be used for utility assistance. And then finally, uh, we also created uh, a small fund of another $5,000 for um, payment of basic needs such as food, uh, baby supplies, and medical supplies. We know that, again, um, if you follow the news, minorities have been particularly hit uh, for many different reasons. Access to healthcare is already an issue in normal times um, for, for various economic, um, socioeconomic reasons. Uh, well, um, so again, it was important for us that we have some basic needs. So um, they also are, uh, we find that um, the families that we work with oftentimes are more susceptible to secondary uh, or pre-existing medical conditions such as diabetes uh, or uh, tuberculosis. So we've we found it important to have those uh, funds as well. And uh, we identified um, a process. We developed new steps. This is totally new for us. And so we have a point person, uh, Sarah Leon, who is um, the person that receives all requests for help and money and then assigns um, um, new clients and current clients to uh, caseworkers. So we work with individuals by providing this uh, relief and also pairing them up with caseworkers so that we identify opportunities for long-term um, uh, solutions and planning. That's great. Uh, I was really excited to talk to you um, primarily for this this reason of how you guys are adapting, but you represent such a such a great population of our neighbors that we're most of us are very aware of, but we don't always have top of mind of how they integrate in our society or the challenges during uncertain economic times of how they they also navigate because they are our neighbors and there are plenty of opportunities to still serve. And so we're grateful that uh, you're able to receive some funding, but also be in relationship with them and provide the long term services. You know, one of the one of the points of this entire podcast for me was to try to connect the there are many great people in our community and neighbors wanting to help their other neighbors who are having greater vulnerabilities than themselves. And at a time where it's so it can be so personal and wanting to give in personal ways, when we think of big funds like what the United Way has done or uh, other kind of large scale giving opportunities, we often kind of get lost in thinking that, you know, my $50, $20, $100 doesn't really make a huge difference in a two or $3 million pot. And so you've given us some really practical ways of seeing how 100% of whatever funds are going directly to organizations and distributing directly to neighbors through an intermediary, especially for those of us that live busy lives who may not have direct connection, relational connection. It's always the best way. Um, however, that's not always the easiest. So thanks for using resources wisely and uh, loving neighbors in your own way. If uh, individuals under, when we get back to kind of normal, if organ, if individuals or families wanted to get involved in your organization, um, 
beyond giving? Are there opportunities to volunteer, to get involved? What does it look like on a day-to-day basis in normal times to be involved with the money? Sure. Uh, we have a couple of different opportunities. One, we have a what we call a community advisory board um, that's made up of immigrants and refugees. So uh, if you are, a, if you have come to for Wayne from a different country and would like to give back, perhaps you have lived a lot of the same uh, barriers and challenges that I described earlier and you want to use your experience to help others. Uh, we actually use a community advisory board to develop our programs and make sure that we continue to be relevant for uh, the community. So that's a volunteer opportunity. As the, we have several volunteer opportunities throughout the year for programming from receptionists to language interpreters um, to um, you know, office administration and a lot of different opportunities and of course, special events. So the best way for us to uh, hear from you is by um, uh, accessing our website. So it's just like the name of the organization. Uh, the full name, which is amanifamilyservices.org. Um, and there you find all information. In fact, you find a couple of web pages on COVID-19 um, because we've, we've, um, you, we have a lot of multilingual information. So if you need that, we have, um, we currently hold um, twice a week uh, phone uh, conferences with Spanish and Burmese speakers. So if you know somebody that would like to help um, would like to know more, they can also join over the phone and the information is again online. And then if you'd like to join us as a volunteer, we'd love for you to do that. And the uh, uh, application is also online. If uh, online is not your way, uh, we respond to the phone number, which is the local 260-484-1414. That's great. Well, we'll put this in the show. Irina, friend, thank you for your time and your willingness to uh, share a bit of your story and the story of your organization. Keep up the good work. Thank you. My pleasure. And right back at you. Thank you, Andrew. Just a reminder to tune in next week where we talk about the commerce side of this. How do we, how do our purchasing tune in next week? with the second part of this episode where we talk about how our dollars and commerce and shopping has an impact if we choose to engage locally. We hear about different philosophies and we hear about a local business that is trying to survive and weather this storm like so many other small business owners. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Neighboring. Mm-hmm.